He's here, amen? Yeah. Hey, we're continuing on in our series in the book of Acts. We started last week. We saw in Acts 1, just before Jesus ascends into the heavens, that he gathers his disciples around him and, and tells them, hey, the Father has a gift for you. And he says, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power to be my witnesses in all the world, which is a, an amazing thing. But as we saw last week, the word witness, I think, is a pretty light translation of what Jesus is saying there. The word he uses is, is, is something much, much heavier than just the idea that we're going to point people to Jesus because we've seen him move over there somewhere. The idea is the, hey, the same power that's inside Jesus, he says, I'm going to put that same Holy Spirit inside of you and I'm going to do a work in you that you become a participant with God, with me, uh, in what we are doing to redeem the world. That we are much more than just people that tell about Jesus, we are people that are living out Jesus, right? That that becomes who we are as a church. And this morning, we get to see that gift come into the world and the story at Pentecost. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2, and we'll jump into this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chair in front of you. I'd love for you to grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, we, or if you don't know where yours is, we would love for you to take that one home. Take it. Uh, make it yours. That's our gift to you. We have a generous donor that's willing to replace those Bibles that are, that are being taken, and so we'd love for you to have that. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. As I mentioned last week, we're, we're we're going to skip over the second part of Acts 1. There's some uh, church business they do. I think it's the first official church business meeting ever. Uh, and they have to replace Judas, uh, one of the 12 disciples. And so they, they have a method of doing that, replace him with a guy named Matthias. But we're going to jump into chapter 2 today in the coming of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 13. Let's pray. Uh, read this together. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. When suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the, whole, filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them to do. Now, they were, stay, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? But some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine to drink. <laughs> Got to end on that note. What an awesome story. What, what an incredible story. This is the miracle of the Holy Spirit coming into this world. But, but if we can be honest, it's a story that, that I don't think carries enough importance in our minds. For instance, every December, 
all around the world, we stop and we start telling the story of Jesus' birth. And it's wrought with miracles and witnesses. We all know the story. And you can ask people that, that aren't even believers in Christ, and they know the story of Jesus coming into this world because it's a story we tell all the time, right? We know the story of the, of the virgin birth and the star that led them and the, the angels that appeared in the sky to sing to the shepherds. We know the elements of the coming of Jesus, but the whole point, Jesus says, of his coming and his death and his resurrection was that he, he's going to change everything about our relationship with God. And then Jesus says, just before he ascends, that, hey, God is now going to give you a gift. He's, he's going to, to give you something. And in fact, he tells his disciples in John 16, he, he says this about, about the coming of the Holy Spirit, John 16, 7. He says, but very truly, I tell you, it is good for you that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, in Greek, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying bodily, I'm going to leave, and that's good for you. Because if I leave, then I get to give you what God is really wanting to give you, and the Holy Spirit will come into this world, and that's good for you. But here's the reality. We don't give the Holy Spirit's entrance to this world nearly its due. For instance, when is, when, is, uh, when is Christmas Day? You sure? You know that? Yeah, and we celebrate every year. When is Pentecost this year, you know? Do you know anybody? Yeah, 50 days after Easter. You know, so you know when that is this year? June 9th. Somebody cheated and looked it up. You were right. Brilliant. You didn't? You knew that? Did you know that? I love that. Do you come from a church tradition that celebrates that? I love that. We don't. <laughs> I love that. But that's my point is I think, I think we need to understand that just like there were miraculous beginnings of, of Jesus being birthed into this world, when the Holy Spirit came into this world, there are miraculous be, uh, beginnings and, and stories and witnesses that we as a church need to know the story. This is when everything changes. It's a story we need to examine. And, and I'm going to geek out on you this morning because I, in my study of this, I'm going to be honest with you. I grew up in a tradition that we didn't teach on the Holy Spirit. We didn't. I, I grew up in a tradition that didn't talk. I think because there have been abuses in the charismatic movement that, that so many of my tradition growing up, that we believe in Jesus, we believe in the, in, in the Father, we believe in the Holy Spirit, but we don't want to go to that, that abuse land, and so we just don't talk about him at all. Some of you come from traditions where you did talk about the Holy Spirit. Others, like me, you're going to confess that I don't know much about the Holy Spirit from my childhood. That, that instead, that, that these are lessons that when you turn to Scripture and we begin examining, they jump off the page. And so I think when I, when I started studying out this, this passage for this sermon, I began geeking out. There are so many cool Old Testament connections here that if you're a Bible study geek with me, you're going to love this this morning. As we're going to see all sorts of connections. God fulfills so much in what he started way back at the beginning of the Bible when the Holy Spirit comes into the earth. So we're going to examine this this morning. We're going to study this story and break it apart. And then I think at the end of it, there's some questions that we'll, we'll ask to bring it on home for us. So let's, let's start with, with verse 1 there. All right. We're going to ask three questions. When did this happen? How did it happen? And to whom did it happen to? And at the end of that, we'll, we'll break it down some questions for ourselves. So, all right. When the day of, of Pentecost came. So it happened on Pentecost. Pentecost was a Jewish festival. 
It came 50 days after Passover that many of you pointed out. It was a festival that existed long before the Holy Spirit coming. And it was a, a, a harvest festival. And, and it was a festival that of all the Jewish festivals, and there were plenty in Judaism, it was the one that most often had the biggest crowds they saw come to Jerusalem because the weather was the nicest for that festival. And so most people waited to make their pilgrimage to the temple, which they were supposed to do about once a year. They would wait for the, for the festival of Pentecost to make their pilgrimage, which is why we see the streets were filled with people from all different parts of the Mesopotamian world. You had Jews that were in different countries all around that area that have scattered, and yet they would make their their pilgrimage for the festival of the harvest. It was also called the festival of the first fruits. It would come at the end of the harvest. And I love this, that, that it was part of their tradition that they would take the first of their harvest, the best elements of their harvest, and they would bring that to the temple to sacrifice to God, to give to God. It's the same principle that we use, that we give our first fruits back unto God when we tithe and give of our finances to him. It's a worship element of you gave this to me, I trust you back with it. And there's something to that. But God could have chosen any time to send the Holy Spirit. And I think he chose the festival of the first fruits on purpose. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was talking to his disciples? And he said, look out there. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more workers into the field. Do you know what this is? It's the fulfillment of that prayer. God was sending more workers into the first harvest of its kind. That the gospel harvest was going to be a total different movement. And these are the literal first fruits of that harvest. The first believers to hear the gospel, give themselves to God, go out and begin sharing the gospel. And the church in a day goes from just a few hundred or a hundred or so to over thousands of people because of the first fruits of the, of the harvest. I love that God chose to do it on the festival of the harvest. He knew exactly what he was doing. And there's beauty there. And it says that, that they were all together. Now, if you were to read in Acts 1, part of the passage we skipped over was that Acts 1.15 says there's about 120 believers that were gathering. 120 believers. And it says they were all together in one place. I think I always saw Pentecost as like the 12 disciples gathered in an upper, upper room of some house. Is that how you pictured it? That's, but as I've studied this, they don't think that's what happened. They actually think there was not a house big enough to fit 120 people in it, right? And in some upper room. So they actually think they probably were gathering in the temple courts in an upper meeting room, which makes sense why then all the other people of the different nations were out in the streets around them because they were at the temple doing their festival parts. And so you have part of them as they're going about their Jewish, Jewish, Jewish religious uh, traditions, you had the first believers that were up praying and waiting on God. And here's, here's one of the things that I love about this. From the point that Jesus said this Holy Spirit was going to come, that we studied last week, to the point when the Holy Spirit comes is 10 days. 10 days, which doesn't sound long. Unless you just saw the Jesus rise up into the heavens and he says, go wait for a gift the Father is going to give you. And you go to an upper room and you begin waiting. How many know that waiting is really hard? It is really hard. We're in a season of waiting in our life right now, waiting for a house to sell. And we keep having these friends texting us going, we sold our house in two days. We're like, don't ever text me again. Like, <laughs> I don't want to know that. <laughs> waiting is hard. And there's lessons that you learn in that. Jesus was buried for only three days, but it took 10 days. He, God chose to make them wait. And they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. I think Jesus, God was waiting for the actual festival day to send the Holy Spirit in. And so here they are. They're gathered, gathered up, all 120 of them in the upper room room. They've been praying and then boom, 
It happens. You ever, you ever been somewhere in a public place that, that, that everybody's attention ought to be somewhere and something distracts them? You ever, you ever been that? Uh, I, I was preaching about this time a couple years ago, about this time of year in, in Arkansas at our church there, and the worship center would sit about, about 900 people. When all of a sudden in the middle of my sermon, this, this time of year in, in that area is tornado season. Uh, it's just part of what you get used to living there. And all in the middle of my sermon, cell phones start going off or across the entire worship center. You hear, the National Weather Service had just debuted a new service that they would send a warning to cell phones that were in the location of an immediate danger of a tornado. So at once, all, and it overrides your silent, and, and it overrides everything. So my phone is going off in my pocket, everybody's phone. So you have like hundreds of phones. And so everybody's trying to ignore it like you think it's a text coming in, and then you realize we can't ignore this thing. You look at it, and it says there is a tornado in your area. Take shelter. I'm sure I was making some brilliant point that everybody needed to hear, but everybody stopped listening to me at that moment, right? Everybody took off to shelter as we, we, got, we had to take that very serious. These folks were all gathered down. They're doing their temple worship stuff. They're, they're, they're doing their festival stuff. And then boom, something so drastic happens that it arrests all of their attention away. And look at what happens. And I love this. In each, there's three elements to how God chose to send the Holy Spirit. And all three of them are fulfillment of some Old Testament uh, prophecies and texts that I never saw until I be, began to break this down and, and read it. Listen to this. Starting first with, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So like the sound of a tornado rushed in as wind blew from all over and the sound took over. Both the, the Greek and the Hebrew word for the Holy Spirit is their same word for wind. In Hebrew, it's the word ruah. Do you remember in Genesis when, when God made mankind and said he picked them up and he formed them out of the clay? And then what did he do? Do you remember? He breathed his ruah wind into him. And it was an imagery of saying he put his Holy Spirit into man. But as we've been studying the gospel this year, we know that that was short-lived. That sin forever changed that, right? That, that because of sin, man was no longer holy enough to have the presence of God within him. So he experienced spiritual death. And man and God were separated by Genesis chapter 3. That everything changed. And they lost that spiritual connection to God. And so they were dead. You fast forward to the prophet of Ezekiel, and there's this famous story in Ezekiel where God takes the prophet out, and he shows him a valley of dry bones. And he asks him, uh, Ezekiel, can that which is dead live again? And do you remember what he told, tells him to do? He said, prophesy to the four winds, the Ruah winds, that they would blow in this area. So he prophesies, and then he sees the winds begin to stir. And it says, with a mighty sound, a violent sound, the wind began uh, coming in, and that which is dead came to life again. And it was a prophecy, and God said, this is what I'm going to do to my people. Now, fast forward to Acts chapter 2, and you have people that are spiritually dead sitting in a room, and what happens? Boom, a mighty rushing wind becomes blowing in and a violent sound of wind. God chose to do it this way on purpose as a fulfillment that's saying that which was stolen from my people by sin is being restored to my people by grace, right? And the Ruah wind comes back in. The Spirit of God has. I love that. That's so cool. Next, it says as they're sitting there, it says they saw, verse 3, what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. What is that about? I've never seen a tongue of fire. Have you? Do you remember in the Old Testament when, when God was trying to get Moses' attention 
and he came to speak with Moses. How did he appear? In a burning bush. In the Old Testament, fire was a, a, a representation of, of God's presence. And in the, in the wilderness, when God was leading the Israelites by day, do you remember what form he took to lead them? It was a pillar of fire. The fire represented, when John the Baptist prophesied about when the Messiah would come, he said, hey, the Messiah will come and he will baptize with spirit and fire. And now here he is. The Messiah has come. And do you know why the, the fire, I love this, why the fire had to be without, outside of the person in the Old Testament? Because they were unclean. Do you remember what God tells Moses when he comes into the presence of the holy fire? Hey, take off your shoes. You're in holy ground. The, the fire couldn't come on him because it would consume him, right? That the God would consume, his holy fire would consume that which is unclean and unholy. But here's the difference about the 120 that are gathered in the upper room. They are no longer unholy. They are no longer unclean, right? That Jesus' grace has now covered them, and that which was unclean has been made clean, and that which was unholy has been made holy. So now the holy fire comes, and it now represents and, and, and separates and goes over all of them because they can now bear the holy fire within them. It's a symbol of God's presence that, that shakes the, the entire room, and his presence is now on each of them. I love that. That God, through Jesus, has made us clean and that which used to have to be without when you met with the presence of God, now gets to be within. How beautiful is that? And finally, they began, it says, verse 4, once the tongues of fire come over each of them, they are, verse 4, filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And as we kept on reading. Then you had this crowd below them that the sound of the rushing wind and the, and the sound of what was happening in that room gathered their attention and they all looked up and they were amazed because even though they were from different parts of the world, they each heard their own language coming out of that room. It was a miracle. Let's talk real quick about the elephant in the room, shall we? Speaking in tongues. Let's go there. Let's go there. It says the, the Holy Spirit filled them and they began speaking in tongues as the Spirit enabled them to do. Let's chat. Acts uh, talks about the Holy Spirit coming in this way. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 talks very openly about speaking in tongues as being one of the giftings of the Holy Spirit. Right? And so if you believe in the same Bible that says that Jesus rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit is amongst us, and it says it's a gifting of the Holy Spirit, then it's a gifting of the Holy Spirit, right? It's not a gifting I possess. I don't have the gift of speaking in tongues. I've never experienced that. But Paul speaks very openly about it being some of the giftings that people who receive the Holy Spirit receive. After first service, I had somebody who came up to me and told me since 1972, she has been speaking in tongues. That's powerful stuff. Here's what Paul says, though, 1 Corinthians 14. He, he says it even ought to be a gift that we long for at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, that ask for it, long for speaking in tongues. He says, but the difference is that when it's done in a, in a public setting, that it can be distracting and not orderly. So he says instead, gifting in, uh, the gifting of speaking in tongues ought to be done in private. And in, and in public, you need a, a, an interpreter having that. I, that, that is a, if we're just being honest, 
If we're just being honest, for many of us, that makes us uncomfortable. So we act like it's not there, right? But it's there. A powerful gifting and moving of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are many who in this text point to, hey, they think this is something different. Because you have all of these people that are hearing in their own language. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's something different. I don't think it matters. What you have going on here is the Holy Spirit showed up in their worship service. Because here's what we know. They weren't talking to the people outside. They will do that in our next week's sermon when Peter goes out and preaches the first gospel sermon. At this point, what they were doing, all 120 of them, they were in a worship service. And God shows up in one of the most spiritually pouring out moments in, in the history of the church, probably the most. And God shows up and the spirit is stirring in there. And what the people outside here is that they're proclaiming the wonders of God. That means they overheard worship. They overheard worship. And they're going, man, people are up there and they're worshiping. How do they know my language? And the point is they don't. They're worshiping and the Holy Spirit is there moving. And they're, they're, they, who knows what they're, they're speaking to God in a language about his wonders. And God so stirs in the people outside that no matter where they were from, they heard of God's wonders in their language. That's a miracle. You want to hear the Old Testament connection to this? I find this so awesome. I read this in a commentary and it just blew my mind. Do you remember in Genesis the story of the Tower of Babel? Yeah, you remember that, that they sinfully were trying, man was trying to get to God. Do you remember this? And so they're going to build this tower and try to, try to get to God on their own. But they couldn't do it. And as a punishment, what does God do to all the people? He splits them in many languages because they couldn't get to God. You fast forward to this story, and what do you see happening? That which man could not do on their own, God overcomes and does for them. And God now, instead of man trying to get to God, God now is coming to man. And all the languages that were split find themselves as one in the one language of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? I love that. This is a fulfillment of what started so long ago. And then it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter what language you spoke. It didn't matter what class of citizen you were. It didn't matter what, what, what background you had, what shame you carried. It didn't matter what socioeconomic class you were. It didn't matter that all had one language in the Holy Spirit because he belonged to all, which points to, to whom it came. Who, who was it that the Holy Spirit came to rest upon that day? Was it just Peter and John? Was it just the disciples that Jesus knew the best? All of them. All of them. And I love that it makes the point to say that. Because we need to hear that. Because if, if we're honest, we fall for a terrible, theologically incorrect hierarchy within church. And I think we've been trained to do it. The first few years, of the, uh, a few centuries of the history of the church was that you had the scriptures that only belonged to the church and, and they would translate it. And really up until the time of the Protestant revolution and, and, and you see the, the printing press being invented and finally the Bible being able to get to the hands of the believers up until that time, the Bible was only in the hands of the church and it built this hierarchy 
that now the people thought that, hey, only priests were gifted. Only priests had the ability to go to God, right? And so in the tradition of the church was that the priest would intercede for me and go to God for me. And so many of you grew up in a tradition where you couldn't talk to God directly. You had to go to the priest to to intercede for you to get to God. And what people began to find out, what Martin Luther found out at the beginning is he's reading scripture and going, wait a second, the Holy Spirit belongs to everybody. There's no hierarchy here. The Holy Spirit belongs to everybody. Priests don't have extra amounts of Holy Spirit than, than, than the, the janitor at the school has. They both have the same amount of the Holy Spirit. It's been poured out on everyone. That's a game changer. That changes everything about our understanding of how to relate to God. That you don't have to go through anybody. Jesus is our intercessor, right? He's our go-between. The Holy Spirit has made it to where you want to talk to God? Start talking, right? That's amazing. But we also need to see that it's not just a few that were gifted by the Holy Spirit. It's not just a few. Because we're all for, yeah, you're right, preacher. You don't have extra Holy Spirit than me, right? I get to talk to God too. I can do that too. But then we start getting and talk about giftings and who, who are called to do ministry. We're like, oh, that's you, preacher. <laughs> right? But that ain't the way it goes. It wasn't just a few who were the leaders that got the Holy Spirit. It came to all of them. Remember what Jesus said. You will receive power, all of you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. That means the Holy Spirit comes upon you to empower you, to animate your life so that you can do ministry. No matter where you are, you are a part of it. And this is what the church is. It's God's people filled with God's spirit to live out God's life for God's purposes. That's church. Let me repeat that. God's people filled with God's spirit to live out God's life for God's purposes. But because we're self-centered and lazy, we like it this way. We like it as being God's people filled with God's spirit to live our life for our purposes. Thank you very much. And we would like nothing more for the Holy Spirit to be the butler in the sky that connects us to God. Hey, go fetch me my blessings, will you? But he's an equal part of the Trinity and he's nobody's butler. And his presence on our life and furthermore, the blessings that we are longing for him to fetch, ironically, Jesus says, come when we lay down our life and our purposes and we pick up his life and his purposes. And then we look around of a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit, living out for the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, the byproducts, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. You look around and the very life that we are longing to have comes when we lay down our life and say, it's not about me. I've given that up. So the Holy Spirit comes that we might be God's people filled with his spirit to live for his purposes with his life. So I just want to ask a couple of questions here this morning and we'll end on these questions. First, are you aware of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life? Are you aware of it? If not, I would point out a couple of reasons as to maybe why. If you're not a believer yet in Christ, obviously you, you wouldn't feel his presence. Now, you might feel his conviction. You might feel his stirring. We'll get into this next week, that that's part of the job of the Holy Spirit is to, is to convince you of God's realness. You might feel that, but that's a little bit different as feeling his empowerment in your life. 
If you're not a believer in Christ, it might be that the Spirit is stirring to do a miracle within you to, to take you from unfaith to faith, which is a miraculous thing in its own self. There are many in this room, as I've learned to hear your stories, that you had that moment where you were not a believer, and then boom, God does something, and you became a believer. And that might be you, and there's no magic hoopla that you have to, 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 to do to receive Christ. It is simply taking heaven up on its offer and saying, I believe. I receive this from you, God. Jesus is my, my penalty on the cross for my guilt. I receive you as Savior. And when that happens, you are given the Holy Spirit, God's presence in your life. It's a powerful, beautiful thing. If you are a believer, but you're not aware of God's presence in your life, I'd point out a couple of things. It might be that you've never really been taught about the Holy Spirit. That's where I was. But as I leaned in and, and began learning more about the Holy Spirit, I began to realize, hey, the Holy Spirit had always been there all along. And I just wasn't aware that's what that was. That my ignorance didn't negate the Holy Spirit's movement in my life. I just didn't know that that's who that was moving. Does that make sense? I didn't know who that was comforting. I didn't know who that was convicting. And so as I've learned about the Holy Spirit, and you look back and go, oh, he's been there all along. I could see that clearly. So that might be you, and it might be time for you to, to learn more. If, if you're wanting to know more, I'd love to walk with you. I'm certainly no expert in it. We can walk together and learn together as a church and, and see it in Scripture as, as we begin to see. There's lots of resources. I'd love to walk with you in that. What does it look like to live a life in connection with the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5 is a beautiful passage on that, of living life uh, in step with the Holy Spirit, as he says. Um, I'd love to, or it might be that the problem is not that you've never been taught the, or you don't understand, but that you've been listening more to your flesh lately. Galatians 5 talks about that. But here's the problem that... that that until that day when we're with Christ and we are fully one with him in heaven, at this point, we have two beings inside. We still have our fleshy being, and now we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And there's a choice of which one you're going to listen to. And there's a reason, by the way, that spiritual disciplines exist, like fasting, like, like choosing a life of, of minimalism in a season, because it's a turning down of flesh in order to turn up the volume of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? And so if you've never fasted, I might encourage you to do that. Just say, hey, for a day, for three days, whatever. I'm going to go without. I'm just going to listen to God. I'm going to stop listening to my own desires, and I'm going to lean into that. Hey, we'd love to walk with you as a church to continue to figure out what does it mean and how does it look to, to be aware of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that is the gift that Jesus died to give me, right? And I want that. Second question is this. Do you know the Holy Spirit's gifting in your life? Because we just saw he, he's with all of us. And what Paul will teach is that his presence with us comes with gifting for the purpose of building up the church. That you have a place here. And what happens is you have a couple of giftings that are elevated, right? If you have the gifting of, of preaching or you have the gifting of leading worship or organization, and those get elevated, and if we're not careful, we fall into this method of doing church where you're, you're the ones that listen and, and we're the ones that, that do gifts. But that's not church. The Holy Spirit came on all of them. Here's what, here's what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, just as, as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink, and even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And he'll go on to describe it and say, hey, there are lots of different giftings with, within the body of Christ. 
Christ. And God, the Spirit has gifted each one of us in unique ways so that we can carry out God's purposes in this world. And it could be that the church is limping through our calling in this world because many of the body of Christ are not carrying out their calling within that body. Right? So here's what I just want to ask. Do you know the Holy Spirit's My experience with the Holy Spirit's gifting has been he's gifted me in, in different ways and different seasons to meet different callings. So do you know what, what he's doing in you right now? Do, do you know what he's up to? Do you have a place of service within the church, with, within, within the community, within God's plan of what, of what he's doing? If you don't, I think you're missing out on a huge part of what it means to be a church. That, 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 hey, here's how God is gifting me and here's how I'm using it. If you want to explore that more, we'd love to explore that with you. What is it? How is the Holy Spirit animating you to live out God's, God's life in this world? And hear that. It wasn't just a few. It was all of them. And by the way, I think our joy and hope we are longing to have comes when you begin to experience the Holy Spirit moving through you. Oh, it's powerful stuff. I'm going to stop preaching. I've gone way too long. Fired up this morning. I told, told first service I pulled a Gary this morning. And went, <laughs> Gary's totally going to listen to this in Zambia. Love you, brother. Sorry about that. <laughs> Thank you for asking. You, he asked, my dad had a stroke this week. Thank you for asking about how my dad is. He's actually well, and uh, he might be listening to this sermon as well. That'll touch his heart. Thank you. Thank you. Um, hey, let me pray over us, and we're going to get into a time of worship. We're going to sing a sweet song that, that is asking the Holy Spirit to guide us into to areas that might be uncomfortable with us. I, don't, I want you to lean into this song. I want you to lean into the, the words and the heart of this song, and this will be the way that we'll conclude. Have the courage to ask the Holy Spirit, hey, what do you want to do in my life? If you're bored in church right now, by the way, it's probably because you haven't found your place of service. But I don't think a life with the, with the Spirit is a boring thing at all. If anything, it's, it's, it's quite the opposite, right? Where you're scared and going, what is God going to do in me? What's happening? And you lean into that. We'd love to help you find it. God, we come before you just sitting under this awesome thing that you have done. God, I'm thinking of the text in Hebrews where you say that, that in order to meet with you, we have to come just believing that you exist. <laughs> and we do that, God. We come before you, and, and many of us have had a, such real encounters with your Holy Spirit that we know it to our core. Others here, Father, are wrestling with faith at its very basis. Maybe they've had experiences in the past, but they're going through a dry season right now, and I just don't know. Others here have, have never had faith, and this seems weird and it seems odd, but, but you're stirring and, and they want to know more about this. Father, I just lean into you and ask you to do what only you can do. Connect us to who you are. Help us to find freedom from our guilt and shame and past in you. To come alive in your spirit, animated by, by your reality in our life. God, we love you. We, we just give our worship to you in this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen.